All right. Welcome, everybody. Um, this is a new endeavor that we're taking on at Sachetta Callahan. We're going to try out a podcast. Um, it's going to be featured around some various financial topics that a lot of people have questions about. So we thought we'd tackle it in a format like this and kind of hit a lot of people at once and maybe answer some of the questions that may be lingering in your mind. So the first topic that we're going to try out this week is buying a house for the first time. A lot of our clients, especially younger ones, that's something in the back of their mind, I think for a lot of people. So let's um, let's dig into it. On the, on the podcast, I should say today we have me, of course. My name is Matt. I'm a financial advisor here. We have, you want to introduce yourself, George? George Leakakis, one of the CPAs at Suchetti Callahan. And uh, we'll kick it over to the big bad partner. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Mike Callahan. I'm a partner here at Suchetti Callahan. And he, Mike's also the director of wealth management. So he's pretty good to have on for an episode like this. Mike has also, I should say, bought five, four or five houses in his lifetime. Um, George and I have bought none. <laughs> so, <laughs> more than zero. <laughs> yeah. So th- this is going to be more us kind of picking his brain and maybe we'll ask some of the questions that you made it, you might've had too. Um, but so I guess first we'll sort of dig into why we're talking about this right now and why the housing market is sort of on fire at the moment. And a huge reason is that interest rates for mortgages are like at a historic all-time low. They're on a 30-year fix, they're somewhere right around 3% right now. Um, whereas this time last year, they were at like 4%, which was still low for the, for that, you know, in the grand scheme of things. But yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's been crazy in that for a lot of people throughout their lifetimes, interest rates have been nothing, done nothing but come down, right? Like, you know, for, for a lot of us, our parents bought their first house. Their their first mortgage rate was twelve to eighteen percent, which was astronomical. But at the time, it made sense. And since then, it's just done nothing but drop for twenty five years. Right. I remember it was probably back in or mid two thousands. I I had a condo at the time, and I remember refinancing at six percent. And I thought it was the biggest gift I could get. I'd never refinance again because there's no chance that interest rates would ever be lower than six. And now, mm. of course, they've been cut in half. So, yeah, I mean, I think to have interest rates where they are, I had somebody yesterday tell me they, they were looking at a 20-year mortgage at 2.75, which when you figure two and three quarters and it's tax deductible is crazy. I mean, it's I don't think anybody ever expected to see rates like this. And like you say, I mean, that that's kind of a big driver of why there's so much demand for real estate right now. And, you know, I think the only real question mark is, do those rates go up at all? And I mean, it doesn't seem like that's going to happen in the in the near future. Mm-hmm. But you know that that could potentially be a depends on how you look at it. it. Could either be a headwind for for real estate as the rates go up. Theoretically, properties get more expensive. It could also be a little bit of a driver of demand because if, if rates start to go up, people feel like they have to go out and buy right yeah. because like right now nobody feels like they have to rush because rates aren't going anywhere. So whether you buy today or whether you buy six months from now, the rates theoretically are going to be close to the same. And even if you take that, that example that I gave earlier of this time last year, 30 year fix was around 4% and now it's around 3%. That, you know, that's, I guess it's a little hard to contextualize for some people because it's, you know, 1% that doesn't sound like that much, but if you took out a $500,000 loan or a $500,000 mortgage oh, and you never refinanced it, you just left it and you just paid the, you know, the principal and interest every month over the lifetime of that loan, there'd be like a hundred thousand dollars that you'd save on that 1%. Um, so it, it, it's pretty substantial. Yeah. And I think it, it kind of goes to show you why, and, and mortgages are strange because it's one of these 
very unique things where you lock in a, a, a price for 30 years based on what's happening today, right? Like you're, you're getting an interest rate based on today's interest rates and whatever your credit score is today, and that is now good for 30 more years, which almost doesn't make sense, but that, that's the way it works. But um, to your point, Matt, I think, you know, people don't necessarily realize how important that is. You know, yeah. when, you, when you look for either a mortgage or refinance or whatever it is, the rate you get adds up to a lot of money over a, a 20 or 30-year time horizon. Sure. Um, I mean, most people don't stay in their house that long. Typically, you know, somebody stays in their house for around seven years, I think, is the number where usually mortgages only last about seven years and then either refinance or move or whatever. Right. Um, but still, I mean, you know, it's if you figure on a half-million-dollar mortgage, 1% is $5,000 a year. Yeah. So, I mean, you're talking real money. I mean, yeah. that, that makes a big difference in, in how much house you can afford and what your cash flow looks like. Sure. So you mentioned you mentioned that with the rates being so low, um, if they start going up, the demand might be, you know, people might want to buy a house. Um, do you think that maybe that the, since the rates are so low and we all know that the you know, the inventory right now, there's not really many homes for sale. And I've heard people say that that's because the interest rates are so low and they're kind of moving away from renting and purchasing homes because because of those actual savings and you know their monthly payment is three four hundred dollars cheaper just because the interest rate right now is so significantly lower than what it was just two years ago i mean it's certainly possible i mean i think you know a lot of it it's all environmental right is any kind of market is always whatever's going on at the time and one of the things right now is obviously the it's a weird dynamic the interest rates are really low but also given everything going on with, with COVID and the pandemic, people are probably a lot more reluctant to move right now. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it's, 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 it's just, just basic, it's just basic economics. It's supply, supply and demand. Supply is really low because nobody wants to move right now, but demand is high because interest rates are low. So it's kind of pushing up the housing prices across the country. Yeah. And, and the big wildcard right now is <clears throat> what happens as we move through the pandemic and let's say we, a year from now or whatever it is, we're getting back to normal is there a early on there was this talk that there was going to be this big rush of supply because you had all these people that were planning on moving but didn't because of the pandemic or Mm -hmm. spent three months sitting in their houses thinking of all the things that they hated about their houses and how much better it would be somewhere else and now all of a sudden once we have the chance to do something about it you get all these people deciding you know what now is the time to to make a move um so it'll be interesting to see you know, where we come out a year from now, what the, what the supply, supply and demand looks like. But, um, you know, one of the other things I wanted to touch on is we talked about how important the interest rate is. Some of that's environment, right? Clearly right now you can get a pretty good interest rate. Some of that is credit, right? And younger people don't have this, a great grasp on why their credit score matters. Mm. And there's really no more tangible example of why than the mortgage, right? Because as we talk about, I mean, it's, if you have an excellent credit score, you can get the best interest rate possible on that mortgage. If you have a good credit score, you might not get as, as quite as good as a rate. If you have a terrible credit score, you're going to get a, a bad rate, right? So, and, and you can be talking a, a percentage point. So the difference between somebody who has a great credit score and somebody who has a mediocre one could be, like you said, $100,000 over the course of a 30-year mortgage. Yeah. Just because as of right now, your credit score isn't where it could be. Credit score is a weird thing. It's like it's, you know, everybody tells you, you know, 
build up your credit score, build up your credit score. And you're like, until you get to those points in life where you're like buying a car or especially buying a home, it's like you don't really understand why it's so important in, until you see the numbers on the piece of paper. And it's like, oh, wow, I could have had that rate if I, you know, if I worked a little harder and building this up. And Yeah, and I think the other thing is people don't know what to do, right? So everybody says, oh, build up your credit score. Well, how do, nobody's ever told me how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's, it really comes down to just doing things responsibly, right? Get a credit card. Use it, pay it off every month. Right? Right. Don't carry the balance. Don't pay interest. Just use it for expenses. Pay it off. Over time, that builds your credit. You know, the other thing is it, it, it's good to have a mix of different kinds of credit. So credit cards are, is, is what's called um, revolving debt, right? You use it, you pay it down. You use it, you pay it down, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There's also installment debt, which is car loans, mortgages, things where you have the set monthly payment every single month. And you prove to them that you're able to make that kind of payment. For young people, a lot of a lot of that installment loan piece of it's going to come up student loans too. Either, yeah, exactly. Either student loans or you know first car payment or something like that. Right. You know sometimes like parents will take out a car loan for their kids, and a lot of times it makes more sense to take it out in the kid's name and maybe the parent cosigns or something like right, that if they're right. going to do it. But yeah, that's what I did with my first car. It worked out good because I got the low rate, but then I also got the kind of proven track record of you know right. oh he can actually pay this off so helped out my score quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's also one of those things where there's never a point where it's too late, right? I mean, a lot of people have this idea where, like, if your credit score is bad, well, it's, I guess it's too late. There's really nothing I can do about it. I mean, it's you can fix it a lot faster than a lot of people think, right? Mm-hmm. If you, you know, pay down debt and just start making payments on time and things like that. I mean, over time, your credit score somewhat fixes itself, right? Is certain things fall off after a certain number of years, so it's never a situation where it's just a lost cause, right? Where it's just time to give up and and deal with it. It's all it always makes sense to try to improve it because, like we said, I mean, it's it's kind of a catch twenty two, right? It's like until you have a good score, you're paying more for things, which means you don't have great cash flow, which means mm-hmm. you might not be able to pay the bills. So it's it's very important to kind of focus on something like your credit score to get it to where you can then get the benefit of the better interest rates and things like that, mm-hmm. which then help you have more cash flow, which help you pay your bills on time. So, I mean, that in and of itself can kind of just improve your overall financial situation just focusing on on your credit score. Right. So let's get in maybe more into like the nuts and bolts of actually buying a house. So people that are kind of looking at this process, you know, it's like, where do I start? You know, what do I look at first? Um, I think one of the first things to look at is obviously what you can afford. And a really kind of tried and true metric in financial planning is the 2836 rule, which basically says your PITI, which is your principal interest, taxes and insurance, basically all of the housing related expenses shouldn't be more than 28% of your gross monthly income. Um, and then all debt service shouldn't exceed 36% of that gross monthly income. Um, so when you're trying to kind of figure out what you can afford, just take, you know, Again, gross is before all the taxes and and retirement and everything's taken out of it. Take that number and then just multiply it by 28%. And that can kind of tell you, start to give you a ballpark of where you can look, um, (laughs) you know, where to set the parameters on Zillow um, when you're starting to look for a house. So, And I think the the important thing, too, is everybody's different, right? So, you know, it's there's plenty of people where when you go to take out a mortgage, I mean, the, the mortgage person will tell you what they'll approve you for, which for some people is significantly more than they should buy. And some people it's significantly less than they can afford. Right. And, you know, just because that's what they might approve you for, like you said, just because 
the rule of thumb percentage comes out to a certain number it doesn't mean it's necessarily right for you. You just got yeah, kind of, exactly. It gives yeah. you a starting point. Exactly, it gives you a starting point because most people are looking at this and saying, I, you know, I have absolutely no <laughs> idea. But the twenty eight percent kind of gives you somewhere to start out at, you know, and then you kind of look at your overall financial picture. In, in that number may kind of bump up and down a little depending on what else you have going on. But and like I say, the other thing to remember too is especially when it's your first house and you're not used to the the other things that come along with it, is remembering that. The mortgage is not the only expense with the house, right? Is obviously the taxes kind of come with that, but you know, it's who's going to do? Are you going to do landscaping? And if not, how much is it going to cost to do that? How much is it going to cost for electricity? How much is it going to cost for heat and things like that? I mean, cable or internet or whatever other yeah, things you're going to get. Up. Like, what are all those expenses going to be? I feel like a young buyer kind of. <laughs> Kind of forgets about that that aspect of, of oh, the, all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's a, it's an exciting milestone, right? So it's like, yeah, I want to get a house. I want to get a house. I mean, even I'm going through this right now. You know, I'm getting close to the point where I might buy my first home, but and I really want to. But then I come back and look at my financial picture and say, well, you know, it's it's probably not the best move at the at the moment. Um, so, you know, a lot of people put on those blinders and kind of say, yep, gonna go buy a house, and don't really think of all that goes into it. Well, yeah, and even, you know, the, the one-off things that come up. I mean, as everybody here in the office knows, I, my basement flooded a month ago or so. And, you know, it wasn't an expense I was planning on paying. But all of a sudden, this multi-thousand dollar expense pops up and you have to be ready to pay it. I mean, it, it's things are going to happen, you know, unless you buy a, and even brand new houses, I guess, have issues. But I mean, most houses that you buy, there's going to be things that break. There's going to be things that come up. And, you know, you have to kind of have that either money set aside or you have to have that income or you have to have some ability to, to afford that without, you know, putting yourself behind the eight ball or putting it on a credit card and, and worrying about it later. Right. Because, um, you know, that's how that's how you start down the wrong path, yeah. I guess. Yeah. So, okay. So, you know, we, I, I take as a client, I take all this into consideration, you know, and I say, Okay, you know, I'm I'm within that 28% sort of window. I've basically put aside an emergency fund already. This, that, the other thing. I, I guess what would be my first step, Mike? What what do I do? I go get pre-approved for a mortgage, and that kind of tells me what I can actually buy, or where do I start? I guess. Um, I think, like I said, I mean, I think that the first thing is to really kind of like we talked about, sit down and, and figure out, you know, what does your specific budget look like factoring in things like I just said, like the, you know, peripheral expenses that come along with the house. If you're comfortable with it, then you look at, you know, if that's the range of house you think you can afford, yeah, you you would talk to a mortgage person and and, um, get pre-approved for a loan that that would get you the house that you're looking for. Mm. Um, You know, and then you start looking and see what's out there. I mean, I think that's kind of the hardest part of the process from, from personal experiences looking at all the different houses and deciding which one's the right one. And, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's an emotional process, right? I mean, I know plenty of people who have found the perfect house and had their heart set on it and put in an offer and didn't get the house, Mm. um, for various reasons. I mean, right now with a market like the one that's going on, I, I just heard recently there was a house locally that, um, Somebody put in an offer for like ten thousand over asking and didn't get it because it sold for seventy thousand over asking. Oh, wow. which, I mean, God. is just crazy. But yeah. it's, I feel like it depends on the market. Some people kind of shy away if the house is kind of you know 
outdated or it, it, you know it, it needs repairs but don't you I, I, i've coming you know my sister actually just bought a house and she put a lot of sweat equity into it i mean don't you think it would be you know you can kind of look in look in areas that you kind of want to buy but the house might not be exactly how you want it and with with the down payments being you know the the, the fha um allowing you to put three and a half percent down say you had like fifty thousand dollars and you know you decided to put the three and a half percent down and use the rest to kind of, you know, update your home. Isn't that kind of a strategy that you can take where, you know, you might put less down on the down payment, get hit with the PMI, but after the updates, you know, might you might be able to get reappraised six months down the road and potentially get out of the PMI by having, you know, 80%. I know what Mike's about to say, so I'll let him say it. You want to give <laughs> your neighborhood analogy? <laughs> uh, well, no, I mean, it, it, I think you assume I'm going to say you, you always want to look for the worst house in the best neighborhood, right? Because right. you can improve it and bring it up to the standards of the neighborhood and, and have equity in the property. I think, you know, the, the, the answer, George, that I would give you is it depends on the person and it depends on the situation, right? So, you know, if you're somebody that is comfortable with doing projects like that and um, is comfortable with that kind of situation, absolutely, right? Because like you say, it's some people walk in and look at a house that needs repairs and they want nothing to do with it. They can't see the potential. They, they just look at it and say, that's not for me. And they move on. Um, so if you're somebody that can see through those things, you can get a deal, right? And you put some of your own work into it and you can have equity in the house. And, um, you know, that's a, a, a great way to do it. I think the, the risk you run and the thing you have to consider is situations like 2008. And again, I'm not saying that, that this is going to happen. It's just something to think about is, one of the th- issues people had was they had this idea that, well, I'll just put, you know, 0% down or 2% down and put a little work into the house and it won't matter because the price just keeps going up and mm. I'll have plenty of equity in a year and I'll get rid of PMI. Um, and that didn't happen, right? The prices ended up going down instead of up. And I'm not saying that'll happen. I'm just saying you kind of have to think to yourself, okay, if, if I don't have equity in this house and I do have to pay PMI, you want to make sure you can afford that, sure. right? So you don't want to do it in a situation where, you can't really afford it, but you think that the appreciation is going to help you. Absolutely. Mike, do you, uh, sorry to cut you off, but do you want to outline what PMI is just for those who don't know? I'm um, sure. So PMI is, is private mortgage insurance. So typically if you put down less than 20% on a, a house, the uh, mortgage company will charge you well, like an additional insurance kind of just to ensure the fact that you don't have as much skin in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but like George said, I mean, sometimes what you can do is if you fix up the house or the prices go up or something like that, you just once you get it appraised, once you have the twenty percent equity, you can get it removed sometimes, right? Um, or you can refinance the mortgage and get it get it removed. But um, so, like I said, I, mean, I think it's a great strategy. It's just a matter of you just have to, like anything else in life, you you, you know, hope for the best, plan for the worst. So you mm-hmm. go into it saying, "Here's what would be a great idea. I could make a lot of money on a, on a property." But you also have to be cognizant of the fact that you know it might not work out the way you think, and you have to be ready to carry it in the meantime. Okay, so you find so now moving down in the process a little more. You saw, you find the best property. You put in an offer. They accept the offer. Now what? Um, and, I, and I know we might get a little in the weeds here, and, and maybe we can do a follow up episode. Possibly have a, a guest on or something like a real estate agent that could maybe speak a little more to that. But um, for, from your perspective in buying your houses over the years, what kind of can somebody expect? So they they accept the offer. Now what? I mean, and truthfully, that's the most stressful part is between putting in the offer and getting it accepted because that's the part where, who knows, you either get it or you don't. Um, 
once they accept the offer, I mean, it's it's fairly straightforward. I mean, typically you'd have a home inspection shortly thereafter where you have a professional come in and look at the house and tell you all the things that might be wrong with it. To George's point, you know, if if it's a house that needs a lot of work and you're pretty much aware of what that work is, it might be a little, there may not be as many surprises. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, most houses have something that could use work. And so you have the home inspection to kind of make sure there's nothing major that could be wrong with it. Um, assuming the home inspection goes well, you basically schedule the closing and, you know, which is the date at which you sign the documents and hand over the check and get the keys and mm-hmm. have the house. So it's, you know, it can take some time. Just I a mean, lot of paperwork. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. usually a month or so, depending on what the agreement is. But there's usually some time between the accepted offer and the closing. But, um, yeah, and then you just go and sign 8 million documents, and <laughs> that's about it. Sounds super easy. Let's go. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, that's so, you know, in a, I think the reason why we wanted to do this is because people just don't know where to start. They're intimidated by the process. Um, they don't know, you know, how to evaluate what they can afford um, and then what to look at. But I mean, buying a house it, it, from, from what Mike has been alluding to, it seems like a fairly straightforward process. It's just a lot of, again, emotional ups and downs and a lot of paperwork. But other than that, it's, it's not all that complicated. Yeah. And I think the, the, the biggest pieces of advice I would give anybody are number one, like I say, make sure your credit score is good. I mean, that, that's the number one thing. I mean, if, if you can spend an extra month or two, you know, focusing on it and paying things on time and doing what you can to improve your score and then apply for the mortgage, it makes all the sense in the world. Because if you can get even a slightly better interest rate that can add up to a lot of money over time. So that's kind of number one. Um, you know, I think the other thing is, like I said, I I think you have to be very aware of the other expenses that come up when you buy the house. So don't just look at the mortgage and say, Oh, I can afford it and and move on with it. Uh, focus on all those other expenses. And, you know, I think the, the last thing we haven't touched on it yet, but also make sure it's the right house for you. You know, I mean, that's that's a big one is a lot of times when people start looking for a house and especially in a market like this where everything's hot, if they lose out on one or two, they kind of start talking themselves into something that kind of maybe works mm. as opposed to something that really works. Right. And, totally. you know, that can be a you don't want to buy a house and then two months later regret your decision. So that's the, that's kind of the last piece of advice I give you. Yeah. All right. Well, so, I think we're getting kind of close on time here. So I guess the other two things that. I think I mentioned one of them earlier is maybe, you know, in a future episode, we can get somebody like a real estate agent, maybe looped in and kind of get their side of things, you know, because we're all financial advisors. So we kind of see the the back end of it, but maybe somebody who's more in the weeds and getting to the nitty gritty, some pointers they could give. Um, And the other point that kind of popped into my head is, you know, not everybody buys a house, right? A lot of people buy a condo or some sort of townhouse or something like that. And we have somebody in the office, Joe Sachetta, who who is part of a um, a condo association. So maybe we could get him on in the future too to kind of talk about the the pros and cons of buying a condo um, versus buying a single family home or a multifamily home. Um, but yeah, those are the only two things I had lingering. Anybody else? No, no, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Like you say, I mean that that is a big decision is what type of housing you're looking for yeah i mean i originally owned a condo now i own a house like you say joe has a townhouse i mean there's there's a lot of pros and cons to being in an association and having condo fees and stuff like that but right um yeah we can get into that another time all right well thanks for your time mike 
<laughs> fairly successful first episode. Um, and we'll see you on the next one. Financers is produced and edited by Sachetta and Callahan, LLC. All disclosures are posted to our website at sachetta.com forward slash financers. S-A-C-H-E-T-T-A dot com forward slash F-I-N-E-A-N-S-W-E-R-S. Thanks for listening.